Hey, Pastor Stephen here. Welcome to the Abundant Springs podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check us out online at AbundantSprings.Church. And now, on to this week's message. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I've, I've observed, you know, I've, I've grown up in the church. Uh, I grew up specifically in a Pentecostal church in uh, Langley, B.C., and uh, what, I, what I found is that, generally speaking, when people find Jesus, they find him in one of two ways, um, or I should say when people serve Jesus. The, the first way that I see a lot of people serving Jesus is they say, okay, good, I've got Jesus, and now on I go with my life, right? Have, have you seen those people? Or, or sometimes, you know, it, it'll really impact them, and they'll, they'll start going uh, and, and doing things for the Lord and all of that. But, but quite often, it's like, okay, good, I've got that. Growing up in a Pentecostal church, I saw the opposite of that as well. I, I also saw the people that were always seeking the experience. Have you ever met those people? Like, it, I didn't break down and cry at today's service. The worship leader obviously did not have the anointing today. Like, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you'd, you'd hear at uh, Swiss LA after uh, the service or something like that. You know, man, oh man, you know, there wasn't an emotional upheaval or, or people would be running around. I remember I got sent to, uh, uh, to teen camp uh, for this express purpose of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? Because if you don't have that experience, then, then you're missing something <laughs> was uh, kind of the, uh, the idea behind that whole thing. Now, now us, we are a Pentecostal church, but uh, we don't we don't look at things in the same way, generally speaking. We're not running around going like, you need an experience. We're going around going, well, I don't want to let you in too much on what I'm going to be talking about right at the beginning. So we're, we're not going to say what we're into here. Uh, but let's just say that you know, we, we get to these places where we're either like, yep, I've got Jesus, or quite often where we're seeking an experience and we just want more and more and more for ourselves. Right? Have you met people like that? They're just seeking an experience. They want more and more and more. They just want it for themselves. Right? This is a quiet room today. Uh, so, uh, hey, if you're alive online, let us know in the chat. And you guys, if you wanna, if you wanna laugh, if you wanna clap your hands or or say uh, amen or yes or or no, I don't know. Uh, you know, if you wanna do any of that stuff, that's that's fine. You know, we can have some give and take here and in, in all of that. But let's let's keep ourselves awake in the heat today and uh, and just really make sure that we're engaged in the things that we're talking about. We've been. Um, in the book of John, John is a book of the Bible that's written by one of Jesus' friends who uh, was with Jesus through his earthly ministry, and he recorded many of the miracles and, and the teachings that Jesus did during his ministry here on earth. And really the, the reason why we are spending so much time going through the book of John is for the simple fact that I think that we need to fall in love with Jesus again. Okay, we can all run around and we can say, oh, we need more of the Holy Spirit. Or you can run around and you can say, well, you know, we need to reach more people with Jesus or we need more friendships in the church or whatever. But the fact of the matter is not a whole lot is going to get done unless we love Jesus, unless we're passionately in love with him. You're not going to take the risk to tell your friend that Jesus loves them if you're kind of like, yeah, whatever, Jesus is a thing in my life. You know what I mean? You're not going to go out there and, and, uh, and make the risks, make the sacrifices uh, to, to make friends in the church. Because how many of you know, like if you're like me, friendship is hard. 
You know how often I talk to my best friend once a month on FaceTime, and that's too often. No, like, you know, like, that's, that's just me. Like, I, I'm an introvert. If it's been three months since I saw someone, I'm good. You know, that, that's great. No, no skin off my, my nose. But, uh, you know, for, for some of you as well, I know it's the opposite. You're like, if I haven't seen a friend in an hour, I'm going to die. And uh, so for, for those of you like that, um, well, you know that you don't want to come hang out with me is really the thing that I need to bring across there. But no, we love you guys. We love you guys. Um, I don't know where I was with that. I don't usually rabbit trail. That was a rabbit trail. <laughs> we need to love Jesus. That's where we were. We need to love Jesus, okay? And so today we're picking up where we've been the last while. We're, we're still in John chapter 7 because there's, there's so much here. And I feel like John chapter 7 is one of those chapters that, uh, you know, there's a lot of chapters in the book of John that you're just like, give me more of this chapter. And then there's John chapter 7, which I think a lot of us are just like, I don't know what's going on here. And we just read it and we're done with it. You know, but so we've, we've been in it a little bit longer and, uh, anybody that has had to preach in this passage, so myself and Terry, uh, will tell you, this isn't an easy passage to, to speak on. All right. Uh, the, the stuff here is a little bit buried. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit challenging to figure out exactly what's going on. But, um, fortunately this week's isn't that hard. So sorry, Terry, I probably should have given you this week. Uh, but that's all right. You know, we're, we're digging in and today we're coming to John chapter seven, uh, verse 37. And uh, if you have your Bible with you, you want to follow along. That's great. It'll also be on the screen here behind me, but this is what we read on the last and greatest day of the festival. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let any Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been, uh, had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. And others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the, that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? There's some irony here. They're all pointing out that Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And the, and the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. And they're telling us, hey, what's the deal? He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, what, what does anybody that's ever been to a Christmas pageant know about the place that Jesus was born? Bethlehem right? So here John is telling us everyone's like, no, he's not from Bethlehem when in fact we know he is from Bethlehem. So there's that irony in the background here. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? How, have any of the rulers or, or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who is one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And then they all went home. Some background uh, for this scene that we're in. This scene takes place during the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, all right? And I think to sum it up, um, 
the, the purpose behind this feast, uh, onefreisrael.org has a, a good s- summary of it. They say, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is a time that God wants his people to recognize what they have by offering food from their harvest. And it is a time when he has commanded his people to rejoice. God wants us to go through this process of remembering, gathering, thanking, giving, and receiving. Now, in the the festival of tabernacles or booths, the reason it was called this is because the people of Israel would all uh, go to Jerusalem and then they would set up booths. They would set up kind of like homemade lean-tos or shelters, and they would decorate them and all of that. They'd put thatched roofs on, but they actually, by law, they had to leave gaps in the roof so that they could look outside and see the stars and all that. Most of them would only eat in the booth, but others would actually be a little more adventurous, and the whole family would sleep in the booth. And the purpose here was that the people of Israel were supposed to remember, as they had this festival... Uh, God's provision for them when they were wandering in the wilderness. Now remember, the wilderness in Israel is not like our wilderness. We go to the mountains and we look around and we go, there's an animal I could eat, there's a shin. Um, you know, there's, there's all these good things that we can do to, to provide for ourselves. Well, out there it's desert. So if you're in the wilderness, you might starve. You might become dehydrated. You might get heat stroke. You're probably going to die. And yet God took care of the people of Israel for 40 years as they came out of the land of Egypt and their enslavement there. And so this ceremony, it's all about remembering that. But there's one particular part of the Feast of Tabernacles uh, that we need to recognize to understand what Jesus is talking about here today. And that's the water ceremony. The water ceremony was the pinnacle of the Feast of Tabernacles. Every single day for seven days. Um, what would happen is the religious leaders or the priests, they would bring out some water from the pool of Siloam and they would pour it at the altar. And, and the belief here was that as they would pour that water out at the altar, as they were faithful in doing this, uh, that God would look at them favorably at their sacrifice of water and that he would actually send the rains in their season. Because remember, if there's drought in Israel, you die right? There's no food if there's no water. And so they had this ceremony. And then on the the final day of the the Feast of Booths, they would have a great water ceremony. They would have it just just a a big old get together. And and, uh, some rabbis would actually say that if you hadn't been to the, the final day of the water ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles, you had not seen people rejoice and celebrate. Okay, this was a big deal. People were dancing in the streets. I should actually say the men were dancing in the streets. The women were making dinner or something because that's the culture that they were in. Don't get after me, get after them, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, so that's, that's what it was, you know. And, and it was this big, huge ceremony. So you can imagine now, Jesus comes up, they're pouring the water at the altar, and then he's like, hey! The the Greek word for Jesus spoke in a loud voice is actually Jesus cried out. So he cried, hey, you guys, can you imagine the disturbance? Oh, yeah, we're pouring this water out. And he gets up on a table or something like, hey, so just so you know, you're pouring that out because you hope that God's going to send water from heaven. But guess what? From me, you can get living water. You can get something different. And Jesus ties this parallel. He ties things together. 
What we need to understand is we're coming to this as we're looking at Jesus talking about giving living water is not only the concept of the fact that water in itself was life, but I think we need to always remember, and this is part of growing in our love for Jesus, that Jesus desires to give you a great gift. Do you know that? How many people today say amen or put it in the chat? Yes, I know that. How many of you know that Jesus wants to give you a great gift? For many of you, you've received that gift, right? You've received that life that he has offered to you. The great news of the gospel is that the world was broken when they rejected God. The the curse of sin came into the world, separated us from the life bringer and the life giver. And so we all were floundering around. And we see this in the world, right? You see the brokenness. You see the pain. You see the hurt. You feel these things coming at you. And so God, in his great mercy, in his great love, he sent Jesus into the world. Jesus willingly came into the world, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, and then was brutally tortured and murdered on a cross. And in that, he completed the cycle of the sacrificial system. He was the final lamb that was killed. He paid the debt that was owed. And he provides life and freedom to us. The, the great news as well is that Jesus didn't stay dead, because after all, who wants to serve a dead guy? Right? Do you want to serve a dead guy? I don't want to serve a dead guy. But three days later, Jesus rose victorious over sin, death, and Satan from the grave. And in that, he now offers us not only salvation, not only forgiveness, but actually life. That we are spurred on from the inside out. That something new is birthed within us. This is the gift of God given to us. And you may sit here and you might think to yourself, Pastor Stephen, you don't know who I am. There's no way that God, if there's a God, could possibly forgive me, could possibly love me, could possibly accept me. But that's the great truth is the fact that Jesus loves and accepts you just the way that you are. And yet he loves you too much to leave you there. And so he offers offers you a hand and he says, grab my hand. I've paid the price. I know the way. And he pulls you back into life, back into love. What a great gift. And yet the gift doesn't just stop with eternal life. Jesus refers to a prophecy that had been shared by the prophet Isaiah many years before, centuries before. We find it in Isaiah 58, verse 11, which reads, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never John tells us this spring that wells up is the Holy Spirit of God who at that time had not yet been released onto the earth because Jesus had not been glorified. In other words, Jesus had not died, risen again, and ascended into heaven. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples after he had risen again, he told them it was good that he was going, that he had to go because when he went, he was going to send the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit to not be present on just a few prophets, but actually to be present with anyone who says yes to Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit is for everyone who says yes to Jesus, 
And so that's the gift of the Spirit. But what is so powerful is he says that when that living water comes into someone's heart, it will what? It'll burst up like a spring, and it will flow from his heart. Some scholars have a hard time with this. They say, how on earth can the Holy Spirit flow from a person's heart? Have you considered that? Because it says his heart. And the grammar here is a little bit confusing. And so some scholars have tried to say, well, maybe there should be like a, a reordering of the words or we should put uh, the, the punctuation in a different place because it sh- maybe it should be from Jesus's heart, from the heart of the Father that, that the Spirit should flow. And yet if you begin to look into these things, you see, no, the, the most faithful understanding of this is that Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit, the living water into the person who believes in Jesus. But then as the Holy Spirit enters that person, the Holy Spirit becomes a spring whose water never fails, who flows from the heart of that person. Here's where our understanding of this begins to break down. How many of you, like me, have heard that the, the presence of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, when he pours into you, it's kind of like you're a bucket, right? So we're sitting here like, okay, I came to church, God, fill me up, you know, rain down on me, fill up my bucket, Lord God. And, and I know uh, growing up, and I, I've preached this too, right? Uh, we say you need to be filled over and over again with the Spirit. You can't ever stop pressing into the Spirit because we leak, right? And so we talk about like there's a hole in your bucket. And so you got to fill the bucket faster than the hole and, and all this type of stuff. But there's a problem with this mentality. And the problem is it's not biblical. Have you considered that? Have you considered that the reason why so many people look down on charismatics and Pentecostals is because we're running around with a bucket. We're running around going, I need to speak in tongues because I need to be part of the cool kids club. I need the gift of prophecy because, man, I saw someone prophesy and it made me feel so good and I, I, I want to feel really good like that all the time, right? Or, man, wouldn't it be amazing? God, let me heal someone because, man, if I could be a healer, I could quit my job and I could start traveling around and I could just blow people's minds and be like, you and you and you and you healed, you know? And, it, hey, there's people with these giftings and that's great, but we're trying to fill a bucket. But here's what I see. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit will flow into you, that the living water will come into you and he's going to fill you to capacity and he's going to stretch you and it's going to feel so good and it's going to feel so wonderful. He says that it's going to flow from your heart, that you're going to be like a spring whose waters never fail. See, we got the analogy wrong. The analogy is not a bucket. The analogy is a hose that has a bit of water in it, apparently. I was going to do... something with water flowing through the hose, and I realized that that would be disastrous. Uh, so you have to imagine with me today, all right, because we're not going to pour water uncontrollably across the stage with all our electronics and all of that here. So imagine with me, you know, to, to get a, a hose going, what do you do? You turn on the water. Well, what do you have to do before you turn on the water? You have to connect it, right? You connect it to the spigot. So for a second, can we just imagine with me, Jesus is the spigot, okay? And so when we come to Jesus, he offers us life. So we hook up the hose to Jesus. And then we say, okay, Lord Jesus, give me the living water. And so when we come to Jesus, he opens that spigot. He opens the tap and it begins to flow. 
Now, someone here, an astute person, might be thinking to themselves, well, hang on, Pastor Stephen. The Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit. You can't be filled with the Spirit if you're a hose. I beg to differ. You can be filled with the Spirit if the hose or the tap is turned on high enough. Have you considered that? See, uh, the reason why we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit is not because we're a bucket. It's because we're a hose. What happens when you turn the water off? The hose is no longer full. But it's not that there's a, a bucket with a hole in it because we're flawed and we're evil and we're sinful. It's because the Holy Spirit has never been intended to just reside and stagnate inside Christ's followers. He's for more. What did Jesus tell the disciples? He said, wait here, wait in Jerusalem for me. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be super happy and elated. And everybody's going to look at you with awe and wonder as you grow massive churches because people want to have this baptism of the spirit. That's what we see in scripture, right? It's okay to say no. <laughs> because that's not what we see in scripture. He says, and you will be, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. You will have power to be my witnesses. See, we get things wrong if we think the Holy Spirit is just supposed to fill our bucket. Oh, just the overflow. That's all everybody gets, right? No. We're meant to pour out the Spirit. We're meant to direct the flow of the Spirit into people's lives. And so he, as he gives us courage to go and share our faith, we're out there with the spirit on us to share with that person using the giftings the spirit has given us for that time, the gifts of the spirit, the um, spiritual gifts that we have, all these things, we give them freely. They flow through us. And so when we ask for more of the spirit, we're not asking for him to fill up a bucket faster. We're asking for him to pour through us faster, for him to do more through us faster. And so you see, it becomes something where in, in the, the old days or the, other, the, the way that we've traditionally thought about this is it was a selfish thing to want more of the Spirit, right? Wasn't it? Wasn't that inherently what it was? I want more. I want to feel it. I want to feel good. I want to feel important. All of these things, that's not what it is. I want to pray, Lord... Turn up the flow. Fill me more with the Holy Spirit. Give me more of the Holy Spirit, not because I want to hold on to it, but because I want to let it flow. Here's the other interesting thing. If you try to hold on to the Spirit, you don't get more of the Spirit. Have you considered that's the way the hose works, right? If you stop the flow of the hose, the hose stops flowing. You don't get more water. If you try to keep it for yourself, you don't get more. The only way to get more of the Spirit is to let the Spirit flow through you. But there's a couple of principles that we get out of this. The first one is this. It's easy to stop the flow of living water in your life. See, with a bucket, if the Holy Spirit stops pouring into me, if I stop spending time with Jesus day by day, if I stop reading my Bible, stop praying, stop listening in prayer, stop going to church, if I stop uh, taking walks in nature and just listening for God's voice, appreciating the things that he's created. That's as full as my bucket gets. Have you ever left a bucket outside without putting new water in it? Have you ever seen the bugs and the scum and the grossness that builds up in there? And have you ever noticed that it, like in the summertime, if you leave a bucket outside for too long and it doesn't rain, it dries out eventually. It might take a really long time depending on how big the bucket is, but it dries out eventually. 
Not so with a hose. But what happens when something in your life goes like that? When we get a kink in the hose, maybe it's anger or unforgiveness, maybe it's jealousy, I don't know. Maybe something happens in life and we start to lose our faith a little bit. We're just like, I can't believe that Jesus let that happen to me. And we kink the hose and it begins to run dry. Or it gets plugged up, right? See, Jesus forgives us of all our sins. His grace is over all. But how many of you recognize that when we go and we willingly sin time and time again, that crud builds up in our spirit and that the flow of the spirit begins to slow? It's the same thing with the host. Or we get uncomfortable because, I mean, rushing cold water through you all the time, it's uncomfortable. And how many of you know that when you're using a hose, you know, you're bending it around and you're flipping it around or you're plugging it into things? And I mean, it's not a comfortable experience to be a hose. It's an awesome experience. It's a useful experience. But sometimes we just cry out and we say, less. Give me less. But what happens is, is that when the flow lowers, we no longer fill up before we pour out. And soon we're relegated to, you know, accidentally watering someone as we move around and, and do different things. You know, the, the dregs might touch someone. Oh, you go to church, let me go to your church. That becomes our effectiveness. Instead of I need what you have. And so we see the Pharisees there arguing about who Jesus is. We talked last week about some of why they were against Jesus, right? That fear, that pride, that envy. But what was happening is before the Holy Spirit was even available to flow through them, before Jesus had even done his work on the cross, they were making sure the water was stopped. But that's not what we're called to. Let's not be like the Pharisees. Let's not stop up what Jesus wants to give us before we've even seen what it looks like to flow in the Spirit. And I want to make it clear Okay, to flow in the spirit, you don't need some traditional Pentecostal experience. Okay, some people are annoyed at me for saying that, but that's all right. What I mean is, is that going to a camp or going to some tent meeting and having someone lay hands on you so that you have this ecstatic experience is not necessary for God to use you. The Bible says all people who, are, who follow Jesus have the Holy Spirit. There's flow in the hose no matter what. We as Pentecostals, however, believe that where the hose is turned on to a certain extent, that there is always more, that God always gives us more, that there is more available, that we can have more, that we can go beyond our own ability, that we can go beyond our own insight. And so just, just, just for the moment, I ask you all to, to walk with me here in that whatever your views are on the Holy Spirit, whether you believe that there's a second encounter, that there's multiple encounters, that you have all the spirit that you get when you first start, can we at least agree on this one thing, that the gift of living water is meant to be shared with others? Yeah. 
which means that we constantly need more of the Spirit. So whether or not you're running around and you're going, Lord God, give me the gifts, and I think that Paul says everyone should seek the gifts, okay? It's clear in Scripture, everyone should seek the gifts. The gifts are available to everyone who follows Jesus, but whatever he gives you, can we agree that the point is not to go, woe is me, I've got a trickle, or woe is me, I've got this much, but just to say, Lord, use me and to faithfully give. Because the point of faith The point of what Jesus was saying was not the water. Do you understand that? He talks about living water, but the point was not the water. The point of of coming to church is not to get filled with more water, living water, more of the spirit. The point of what Jesus was talking about was new life. I shared earlier that in, in Israel, in most regions, if there was a drought, you died. You need water to live. Water is life. We take that for granted because we got water everywhere, but water is life. Jesus talks about a spring welling up. A spring comes from underground. A spring was eternal. If you had a spring of water, you had the stuff to grow life to stay green, to stay going. The point is not for us to seek the Spirit because we want the Spirit. The point is that we need the Spirit to be fully effective in what God is calling every single one of us to because every single person who follows Jesus is a minister and has a ministry and is not not called to be a spectator. That's why we believe in being spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led people because that is the call on all Christians, any walk of life. Whether they claim to have a second encounter with the spirit or not, if you are a Christian, then the goal is to be led by the spirit and to do things that you couldn't do before because you are filled with his power. Not for yourself, but for the world, for God's mission to love, to care for, to transform. And so the action step today is quite simple and yet quite complicated. Turn on the flow and share Christ's gifts with others. What's this look like for you? How are you going to do it? I don't know. Because the fact is, is that yes, we've got things that you can be a part of here at the church and we want you a part of those things. But every one of us has a life that we live in different corners of our community. Every one of us knows different people and every one of us is gifted in different ways. And it's not so that we can limit ourselves to only when there's a church event. It's that we can impact a variety of people in a variety of ways to see life grow. Music team, can you come back up? Truth is, is that when we follow Jesus, we don't just start following him, but we're filled with God. It's weird to say that, isn't it? Usually, oh, filled with the Spirit. You know, the Spirit's God. You are filled with God. Nothing is beyond your ability when he calls you into it. 
So sharing that testimony or doing that good thing or blessing someone with a God loves you card or whatever it may be that God is calling you into, you can do it. And you can do it because of the one in whom we believe. Maybe you're listening and you've been seeking Jesus for a while, trying to make sense of who he is and what he's all about. I want you to know that God in his infinite love has been pursuing you. God wants to have a life-giving relationship with you. But the fact is that every person is born with a rebellious heart and is separated from the life that only comes through a true relationship with their creator. So God did something magnificent. He knew that we could not repair the broken relationship ourselves, so he came to us. And we're told that while we were still sinners in active rebellion against God, Jesus Christ died for us. In John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So, if you're ready to have that newfound life through a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer with me, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Master and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. As you dedicate your life to following Christ Jesus, you will receive forgiveness for your sins and you will be adopted into the family of God. Let's pray. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve the consequences of my sin. However, I'm trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. I believe that his death and resurrection provided for my forgiveness. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as my master and my savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and forgiving me. Help me to leave my old ways behind and to live as you would have me live from this time forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer from your heart, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Your next step is to connect with a local church so that you can be shown how to grow in this new relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week for more Bible-based encouragement.